0: The sermon text is Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 26, and you can find it on your paper uh, Bibles on page 492. "In In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that the that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat and, with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, go into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, of Herod." And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Um, All right, so today is Palm Sunday. And uh, as I mentioned a second ago, Palm Sunday, it marks the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, This is the day that we remember what we read just a moment ago about Jesus riding into Jerusalem to the shouts of the praises of the people. Um, It actually goes kind of nicely with the passage we're looking at this morning. This is something that took place quite a bit earlier in Jesus's ministry, but there are some similar themes in both accounts. Both deal with the issue of what it means to see Jesus clearly. In the triumphal entry story, when Jesus is riding in, um, it, it goes on, uh, people are praising him, but nobody truly understands who he is. As the week passes, uh, it becomes pretty clear that what they thought they were getting as Jesus rode in was, was not, in fact, who Jesus was. Uh, at that moment... Their vision's kind of skewed. And here, in the text that we're reading this morning, uh, we're dealing with that same thing, a skewed vision of Jesus. And the last little bit of the text we read this morning said as much. Um, It was the story, you probably heard, of Jesus healing this blind man. But it's kind of a weird healing. Did you notice that? Jesus puts his hands on this man to heal him, and it doesn't work the first time. But I want you to realize that that is not because maybe you know, Jesus messed up. It's not because he didn't try hard enough when he, when he first did it, or, or that maybe at this point he was just feeling weak, and maybe he was losing some of his power. It's not about any of those things. But it's about uh, what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He was a British pastor in the 20th century. Uh, he points out that every miracle of Jesus is more than just an event. But they are, in a sense, parables. They're meant to tell us something about who Jesus is. And so this healing, this partial and progressive healing, is actually supposed to teach us something about how the people at this point in Jesus' life understood his ministry. How the Pharisees saw him, how the disciples saw him, how the crowds saw him. But more than that, it actually tells us something about how we see him how we are supposed to understand Jesus. Um, This is about how our vision of Christ is healed. And so today, that's what I want us to do. I want us to take that last little bit that we read, that story of healing, and I want us to use that as the framework for this whole sermon. I want us to look at those three different stages, blindness, partial sight, and then restored sight, and see how these categories teach us something crucial about the way we see Jesus. So let's do that. Let's take each one of those. And let's just start, like I said, with, with blindness. Now, uh, all, we, all winter long, we have been looking at this book. Uh, and the question, the sermon series is called, Who is Jesus? Because that's the question we're, we're trying to answer. Um, and ultimately, the climax of that story is next week. Uh, where Peter comes and he professes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's where we've been headed. That's where we'll be next week. So like I said, 10 minutes ago, bring your friends. This is what the whole point is. Um, But at this point in the story, it's a little frustrating. At this point in the story, you might be starting to think, you know, what's up with you people? What what is it going to take for you all to recognize who Jesus is? Those first 10 verses that Mia read, the story of the feeding of the 4,000. It's just, yet again, the disciples are watching Jesus do the very thing that God does, that he feeds people manna in the wilderness, that he is identifying himself with this divine trait of God, and yet they still don't see. Then, verses 11 and 13, the Pharisees, they're showing their hostility to Jesus. And they say, Show us a sign. We just need some proof. And you kind of want to laugh at him, right? <laughs> like, yeah, 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 we know, we saw that feeding of thousands of people, and yeah, yeah, we, we saw healing the deaf guy just a minute ago, but, but we need some proof. You know, show us something tangible. Show us something we can get behind. Well, the Pharisees, on one hand, with their, their hostility to Jesus, and, and the disciples, on the other, who are, are trying to see They're working hard, they're following Jesus. Uh, They're both frustrating. (laughs) We look at them and we say, come on, you idiots. Figure it out. Come on. Well, I think maybe you feel that way for a little while. Until you start to think about your own life, right? And still you until you start to remember your own blindness. Everyone who's a Christian in this room, everyone who's been around the church, I'm sure you've sung more times than you can count Amazing Grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And that resonates with us, doesn't it? We, rem- we, we know what that means, to have been blind and then to see. And it's easy to see the guys in the story and get judgy, <laughs> to get a little frustrated, until you realize that we are all that way at some point. Every single one of us have been there. Spiritual blindness, this inability to see Jesus, the skepticism, even the hostility towards the things of God, those aren't unique traits. That is universal. That's something all of us deal with. Scripture tells us, in fact, that the state of being spiritually blind is not really under our control. Paul says, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says that this is not something we can control. You guys remember those, um, the Magic Eye posters from like the 90s, I guess, where it's like those... Patterned images and you like blur your your vision and it makes the the 3D picture sort of appear It's like a, a shark or a horse or something. I think I had one that was like a scene from Space jam. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about but you see these, these these pictures and you tell people how to see them, and eventually the the image pops out, but some people can't see them. Some people just can't do it I was I I looked it up, like if people have any sort of visual alignment issues, those things are just impossible to see. And so they just look like weird patterns. It's similar with our spiritual blindness. It is a condition where it is not possible for us to see Christ. No matter how much people tell us that he's right there in front of us, no matter how much people tell us that he's right there to be seen, we still can't see. And maybe that sounds weird, but it's, uh, it's something that we experience in other realms of life as well. We, we come into these, these moments of blindness outside of our spiritual life. I mean, just think about, think about the last bad relationship you're in or, or the last bad job that you took. Now that it's over, you look back and you say, why did I ever think that was going to work, Right? All the signs were there. We were not compatible. That boss was a jerk at our interview. Everything was right there for me to see. How was I so blind? Well, that's what Paul's trying to say. He says that the God of this world has blinded our eyes. We are unable to see the things that are right in front of us. But that doesn't mean we're guiltless. Just because we can't see it, it doesn't mean we're guiltless. In fact, uh, Romans says quite the opposite. It says the things that can be known about God are plain to us because God has shown it to us. It says his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world so that we are without excuse. Just because you didn't think that guy you met on the Craigslist ad with the face tattoo was gonna be trouble, (laughs) it doesn't mean you're guilt free. The signs were there. Scripture tells us that spiritual blindness affects all of us at some time, and the signs are there. But we still have a responsibility. Just because we're blind doesn't mean we have the chance to relax and not worry about it because it's not our fault. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When Jesus is talking to his disciples in the boat, they have this conversation about having only one loaf of bread with them. And then Jesus says this. He says, watch out, verse 15, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He's getting on to them about their dullness. He's getting on to them about their blindness, their inability to see. And this is the thing he wants to say. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. What does that mean? It's a little confusing, right? If he had said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, you would know, well, he's probably talking about self-righteousness because that's the main issue for them. But, But that wasn't the deal with Herod. So what is it? What's the thing that the Pharisees and Herod have in common? Well, I think it's what we're talking about here. It was that that these men were not able to put aside their presuppositions. They weren't able to put aside their personal desires and just consider what do all these things in front of me mean? Mark tells us that Herod, especially, used to go and have meetings with John the Baptist. We just read it a few chapters ago when Chad was preaching. It told the story that uh, he heard the words of John the Baptist, and he would go down to the prison cell where he had John the Baptist locked up, and he would listen to him, and it says that he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Herod knew there was something to this message something to this thing that John was preaching about the coming kingdom of God. But he wouldn't make the leap. He couldn't make that connection. These Pharisees, they saw all the signs, but they were unwilling to go any further. They were unwilling to move beyond observation and into faith. Right? They said, even if I have an enormous amount of evidence... Even if I have seen the lives of people all around me being changed by this guy. Even if I can tell that there's some truth in the things that he's saying. Even if I'm attracted to some of his teachings. Unless every single one of my questions are answered. Unless I understand every little thing. Unless I have been persuaded to the point where faith is no longer required of me. Only then will I acknowledge the truth? Jesus says, beware. He says, beware of that instinct in yourself. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. He says, beware of this because it's, it's like leaven and bread, that it will get into your heart, and it will get into your soul, and it will spread. And it will render your heart hardened and impenetrable, And it will render your soul completely blind and incapable. That's the blindness that we're dealing with here. That's blindness. But the second part of this is a bit more unusual. Um, This this idea of partial blindness. That Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones, the pastor that I mentioned, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And in there is a chapter on this verse that I found extremely helpful. And a lot of the stuff uh, about partial blindness, I'm I'm kind of pulling from him. Um, But when you think about the song, when you think about Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If you're familiar with the Bible and you think about the experience of going from, from being blind to seeing again, you're probably thinking, maybe that reminds you of Paul a little bit. You might remember the story of him coming to faith on the road to Damascus, and Jesus literally blinding him. And then he comes to faith, and his sight is later restored. This radical conversion. But you know, that's not what's in focus in Mark. In fact, Paul's not even in Mark. The focus of the Gospel of Mark is on Peter. Mark was one of Peter's companions, and all of these stories have been handed down from Peter's perspective. And when you think about Peter's conversion, it's not like Paul's conversion at all. Peter seems to come to his knowledge of Jesus in bits and pieces, in fits and starts. He seems to take a step forward and then take a step back. This is the guy who at the end of this chapter, is going to profess Jesus as the Christ, and then within the next sentence, Jesus is going to say, you're Satan, get behind me. Peter's the guy who denies Jesus three times, and then by the start of Acts is preaching during Pentecost. In other words, what I think Mark is trying to show us with this partial healing is that there is a state of seeing of spiritual sight, that's not quite seeing. There's a a state where you can kind of see bits and pieces and parts of the gospel, but not all of it. And I think that's what Mark wants us to get when he sees this man who's been healed, and yet he looks out and he says, well, I see men, but they look like trees walking. So what is that? What does it look like to have this kind of partial sight? How can you tell if that's you? Well, I think there's two main categories of this partial sight that are pretty common. They're common in the church, and they're very common on that kind of ring of people who are just sort of on the outskirts of the church, maybe come in every now and then or or have some kind of Christian affiliation. And I think they fall into, like, I think a good name for these two categories would be blurred vision and disordered vision. So there's a kind of partial sight that's a blurred sight, and there's a partial site that is a disordered site, And the blurred sight is simply this. It's those people who have faith, but it's a weak faith without any sharp edges. Right? This projector right here. This thing is the bane of my existence. Half the time, I'm stressed out about if things are plugged into it or if it's projecting what it should be. Um, but one of the features of that projector is if you twist the little lens on the front, some of the words... You know, the words get blurry or they get crisp. And it bothers me when we're there and the words aren't quite crisp. But of course, it'd be much worse if they were blurred to the point where you couldn't read them at all, to where the words are just kind of dark spots on the screen up here. You can imagine how the man's vision would have been a little bit like that, right? If you just twist the lens of your eyes until people are just pillars, until you can't see any descript features on them, but they look like trees walking. I think that's a a good picture of what our faith is like without doctrine. I think that's a great image of what it's like to have a a general faith in Jesus without those doctrines that bring him into clear view, that help you to understand who he is and what he's done and why it matters to you. A couple years ago, I went to, I was on vacation, and It was a Sunday, and so I was like, well, I want to go worship somewhere. You know, I don't get a lot of opportunities just to to sit in a service. And uh, so I looked up, like, the church with the best website nearby. (laughs) And I drove down to this big church, the big popular church that everyone was going to, and and it was fine. But once the pastor started preaching, man, I just got so uncomfortable to the point where when I left, I I was like, I'm never going back to that church, and I'm never sending anyone back because the the pastor came to a, a place in Scripture that needed to be taught. A place with different potential interpretations and he said, you know, people think different things about this and I'm just not gonna get into it because I don't want to be divisive. You know, we can all get along. And I was like, no, you can't. (laughs) That's important. People need to know if it's right or wrong, if it's true or false. They need to know should they live by that or not. Hebrews says the word of God is living and active, that it is sharp that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it divides the soul and the spirit. That means this thing is intended to cut us. It's intended to convict us, to show us the way that we are living our lives out of line with the will of God. Ultimately, this is the tool that the Holy Spirit is going to use to shape us and to cut us and to prune us into the very image of God. But so many of us in the church run away from the hard truth. We come to the stuff that we don't like. We come to the hard things or the things that we doubt and question and we just push them aside. We say things like, well, you know, I've heard the Bible says I'm supposed to live this way, but I think I can do just fine without God interacting with that part of my life. You know, I don't know why God really cares about my sex life. I don't know why he cares about my money. Like Chad was talking about a moment, why does he care about how I spend my weekends? What does that matter? We push aside these laws and we blur our vision of Jesus. Or we just fail to, to learn. I think there's a lot of people in the church who would say that they're Christians, who would who would profess faith, and yet they come to the the doctrines of the church and they say, well, does that really matter? You know, I I know I've been saved by, by grace through faith. Why do I need to know what the book of Ephesians says? Why do I need to know what atonement means? What's the difference? We might get Jesus is important. We might get that Jesus is even necessary somehow, but Because we haven't invested in the truth, we have no vitality in our faith. Instead, we have this faith that is mushy and blurred and has no clarity of vision. And you know, here's the truth. Unless your vision is cleared, you won't see Jesus as he is. You won't see him. Instead, you'll have a blurred vision. The other version of that is what I'll call disordered sight. And that is a little bit different from what I just talked about. It's it's people who do kind of know the basic facts, and maybe they know the doctrines, but they don't have a holistic view of how all those things fit together. They don't know why one truth rests upon another. They don't know simple things like the order of our salvation. And that may sound like a small thing, but it's not. Right? What the scripture tells us is that Jesus initiates with us. It says that Jesus is the one who makes the first move. And if you open the passage and you look at this healing, you might say, well, I don't know, Pastor, because it looks like this guy, it looks like he came to Jesus, and yeah, That's true. Until you take a step back and you realize that Jesus came to him from another town. That Jesus came to earth from heaven itself (laughs) all to reach this man. That he had come to this moment with this purpose of restoring this man's sight, but not only to restore this man's sight, but it was going to fit in with his overarching plan to bring salvation even to you in your life. That it would be something that the church would hold on to and study for all ages. Ephesians chapter 1, it says that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's important the way that you understand how Christ has acted for your salvation makes a huge difference. It really matters. Yes, now don't misunderstand me. There is a point when men and women have to come to Jesus. There is a point when every one of us has to respond in faith. But it's not the first thing. If you don't realize that, if you don't see that your salvation didn't begin with you, that it wasn't about how smart you were, it wasn't about how holy you were, that you were able to see the truth, that you were able to perceive and follow, if you think that the big difference between you and your non-believing neighbor or family member or friend is that there is something fundamentally better inside of you. That's a problem. If you don't realize that it was Christ at work in you, then you are gonna see men like trees. You are going to wield your faith like a hatchet and cut people down with it, with your demands for obedience with your anger and frustration that they just don't get it. I think that's how we get a lot of the problems we have in Christianity today. I think this very instinct is the thing that's at the root of those big movements of conservative Christians in the 80s who decided, well, we're just going to tell everybody to live like Christians, whether they're Christians or not. I think this might be at the root of some of the really crazy kind of fringe groups like the Westboro Baptist Church who, who come with to, to public spaces to declare God's judgment on the world. But I think it happens much more subtly too. I think it happens in our friendships. I think it happens in our relationships. Those subtle comments that you make. Those little jabs. The demands that people feel like they can't live up to. Crushed under the weight of our expectations of them. Or maybe you're somebody here who's been on the other side of that. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of some of that judgment. I want to say that's not how it's supposed to be. But if you... Have a sight that is disordered. If you don't realize the abundance of grace at the front end of your salvation, if you don't realize that your salvation really has a lot less to do with you than you thought, if you don't realize what Ephesians says, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, not only are we blind, it says we're dead. We're not surveying the options, we're not considering what we might do, we're dead until Jesus comes and makes us alive. So partial blindness, it can express itself in this blurry kind of indifference, this softness that makes faith seem powerless, wishy-washy, limp. But it can also express itself in a disordered way, with a lack of grace and a hardness that turns our faith into a weapon. But partial blindness, full blindness, whatever it is, it all has the same cure. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the last state, the restored sight for a second. Um, Have you guys ever seen uh, the movie Major League? Maybe? I don't know. This is the weird thing about sermon prep, right? You start to think about random movies and scenes that you've seen that might illustrate a point, and then you're on Google, and you've find out things like, the 28-year anniversary of Major League was on Friday. (laughs) And then you find out, hey, it's streaming for free on Amazon. Might as well watch some of it. (laughs) So anyway, I'm watching this movie. (laughs) It's about uh, the Cleveland Indians in 1989. And uh, they're terrible. And they're trying to to revive their team, basically. And they, they get this guy, played by Charlie Sheen. Different day and age for Charlie Sheen. And, uh, and he just can throw hard and fast, but he's extremely wild. You know, the balls are, are, are going to kill people. He's so bad. And so they come to the point where they decide they're going to send him down to the minor leagues. And then in that moment, the manager is talking to him and realizes he can't see. He realizes he has terrible eyesight. And so they get him a pair of glasses, and all of a sudden he's awesome. And it's like the beginning of the turnaround for this whole team. And I know this maybe sounds weird, but but the cure for blindness, for our spiritual blindness, has something in common with that. You know, there is a point at which you just have to admit you can't see. The first step to restored sight is to say, I'm blind. And I want to be clear. I don't mean just saying that to yourself, I don't mean just saying spiritually inside of you, I'm blind. Although that, of course, will have to be part of it. But I'm talking about this. Verse, verse 22, it says that when Jesus and his friends, when they came to Bethsaida, people brought to him a blind man and they begged him to touch him. You can skip over that little descriptive line, but I think there's some important truth there. Healing happens in community. It's the people who knew this man was blind, who knew about his condition, who made it possible for him to get to Jesus. It's these people who cared about him, who brought him to the one, who had the resources to heal him. I mean, is this not the purpose of the church? That we would lovingly bring people to the one who can restore their sight. That we would lovingly lead Jesus to the one who can give them a clear vision. That means that if this is you, if you're blind, you need to admit it. Not only only to God, but you need to admit it to the church. You need to let us know. And I say that knowing the facts knowing the statistics, and and honestly, knowing some of you. And I know that there are some of you here who, if you are being honest, you don't believe. Maybe you're ashamed to say it. Maybe you're worried that people will treat you differently, that they'll judge you. But I want to say, if that's you today, brother... Sister, this is a room full of people who once were blind. Some of you need to admit it. Some of you need to let us know. And some of you, you do need to admit that you just can't see clearly yet. What if after Jesus had placed his hands on this man and said, Do you now see? What if he said, Yeah, thanks, Jesus. I'll see you later. (laughs) There would have been some honesty in that answer, right? He did see stuff. But that would have been terrible. I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, you need to admit what you don't see. If you see that in your life right now, you are living an active rebellion against some aspect of God's word, if you don't get why we say things like the church should be your family and not just a club to belong to. If you don't get that whole Sabbath thing that Chad was talking about. If you don't understand why what Jesus says about sex or, or money or power is in there. If that stuff makes no sense to you. Or even if you're just wrestling right now. If you're dealing with doubt if you're dealing with despair, if you're dealing with depression, tell somebody. You know, this was a hard week for me. And, and a lot of you know it. Some of you here heard from me this week. You know, I was, I was struggling. I was, I was down, feeling really low about some things. And I just, I just wasn't seeing clearly. And in that, and you know, talking and texting and, Emailing with people, meeting up with people. I was just reminded of of what a great gift we are to one another. I was reminded of why we have the church. I was reminded that there really is no such thing as a clear sight of Jesus all by yourself. If that's you, I want to I want to say cry out to Jesus. Tell him, tell him I see you, but I don't see you clearly. But tell your people too. Tell your family. Tell your community and let us carry you. Let us bring you to the one who can heal you. But first, that's the first thing you've got to admit. You've got to be willing to say, I don't see. I see men, but they're like trees. And then the second and the final thing that you have to do is a pretty simple one. You've got you to submit to his touch, right? At some point, you got to stop rationalizing. At some point, like these Pharisees, you got to stop contemplating. you got to stop demanding a sign. you got to stop saying, I need incontrovertible proof. You know, the, the Pharisees think that's going to be enough, but, but look at the disciples. They've been there every single moment. They still don't get it. At some point, when Jesus is calling, we just have to come. We have to be touched by his healing hand. We have to accept the offer that he is making for salvation. We've got to move to him in repentance, in faith, in submission and surrender before all our questions get answered. What if the man came to Jesus and he said, okay, I can tell you're about to, to try to heal me. But before you heal me, I, just, I got some questions I need answered. You know, what is the plan here? Are you going to remove the old stuff and, and create new stuff? Or are you just going to kind of magically heal? On a molecular level, just let me know. You know and, 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 and please, you know, I'm curious. Like I, Life's bad now, but it's not awful. Like, what, what's going to happen afterwards? You know, what, what's going to be the future once you've healed me? We can't do that. At some point, you got to turn to him in faith. At some point, you have to say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with me, but I know I'm blind. I need you to help me see. The good news of the gospel is that, that Jesus exists to give sight to the blind. That this man's story is all of our stories. That we come into this world with hostility towards God. We reject Him. We deny Him. We live in total darkness. But John's Gospel opens up with that promise. That Jesus is the light in our darkness. He says a light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The good news of the gospel is that, that on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by God. He was cut off from the sight of his heavenly father in our place. And through his resurrection, through his victory, we now are able to come and see God clearly. Clearly. When we come to Him with repentance and faith, when we come to Him in submission and surrender, He will give us the sight that we lack. And so that's my last thing. You know, I want to invite you today to do that, to come to Him, to cry out to Him, to restore your sight, to clear up your blurry vision, to reorder your disordered vision, that you might see Him anew today that you might follow him this week and be transformed into his image. Let's pray. Father, we um, we need you. We're lost without you. And we stand before you today as, as people who once were blind. Lord, we thank you for your healing hand that has given us a vision of our God who saves us by grace. But now I pray, Lord, that we would submit to you fully, that we would be transformed in submission to your word. And I pray for people here who aren't sure what's going on, who are just checking this thing out and and feeling insecure about it all. Lord, I pray that they'd hear your offer. I pray that that they'd see your healing hands, and I pray that that we together might carry them to the one who can can heal them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.